Hey everyone, welcome to the Grabs Podcast, where we bring the stories of real life rescues on the fire ground to you firsthand from those involved. I'm your host today, Grant Schwalbe, and today with me, I've got Jason Janitas from South Carolina. He's going to talk to us about a fire that happened in December 2013. Pre-show, we were talking a little bit about this, and I'm really stoked uh, for everybody to hear this story. I think this will energize you if you need a little kick in the butt for uh, your training or for whatever you're doing. But uh, welcome, Jason. How you doing? Hey, how are you? Good. Um, we're going to leave department names out of this um, so we can talk a little more frank, but can you tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about um, the search culture in your area? Yeah. So uh, uh, again, Jason Jonias from uh, South Carolina. Um, I've been in the fire service for actually yesterday was uh, 20 years, January 20th, uh, 2001, I joined the fire department full-time. I was a couple years volunteer before that, but uh, I am very, very lucky to have an aggressive search culture in my department. Um, We do a week-long search kind of academy, per se, in our recruit school, really before we get to the nuts and bolts of the actual basic fire academy classes, as well as we we have a week-long ladder academy that you're required before you can actually go to the trucks. So we're, we're very, very aggressive with our search cultures. Um, I know we kind of talked briefly before the show, but uh, our chief is big on kind of SOP, SOG driven structure fire. And he is adamant that the first three companies on scene will generally go two lines and search. Our, our fourth engine actually is our Rick company because he believes so highly on putting water fire, putting water on the fire and uh, searching the rooms is the most important priority uh, so you've got trucks and engines are trucks the only ones doing the searches or do engines do searches or how's that get divvy up both uh so the third do engine in our policy actually is search company if it if it arrives before the ladder um, if the ladder or truck gets there before the third do engine they'll go ahead and take inside search or maybe the engine will do the outside work it just kind of depends um, on the area and the location, but generally the ladder on residential will split, uh, you know, two inside, two outside OV, and, and then that third new engine will support the search as well um, on upper floors or if it's a larger house, uh, kind of once, once those details are figured out, once they get on scene. Um, walk us through what an inside search and an outside search looks like when you guys are split. So our inside search is broken into three classifications. Uh, the oriented search, obviously tick, basic room-to-room hopping, completing the box, VES, and then VES beyond the door. And, and we teach guys in that portion, you know, if you VES a room and you get in there and the conditions are not as bad as you originally thought, complete that room, get to the door, look down the hallway if conditions enable you to, call to command, hey, we're going beyond the door, we're searching the next room, and then just jump from there. Um, but again, that is very much situational dependent on the conditions inside, you know, you, you open that door for VES or if the door's already open and you search it and then close it and the conditions are not favorable, then we don't promote going beyond the door. Gotcha. Talk a little bit on the inside search. You said you're oriented person. Um, how does that fluctuate with, um, more senior guys. Are you going to, you ever get into split search or are they always staying together or? Yes. Uh, we cover about 700 square miles. 
So we have everything from trailers to apartments to mid-rises. We have a couple high-rises that are being built now, hotels, things like that. So we do have large area search bags for the larger commercial buildings. And, and so we do promote, you know, based on the, the building that you're responding to, whether you stay together or split. If the com companies feel comfortable, they'll split and one will cover one room and the uh, officer or senior guy will go across and cover the next or they can kind of stay together and, you know, one guy searches, covers with a tick. As soon as he's coming out of that room, the next guy goes to the next room and kind of jumps up and, and searches. What about uh, tool assignments for those truck crews doing searches? What, what are you doing on inside? What are you doing on outside? So inside crew will generally take, obviously, the tick. Uh, you know, we push, again, flashlights, uh, halligans, six-foot hooks, um, and then we, you know, allow them a, what we call kind of the wild card. Every crew likes a certain tool based on their, you know, response area um, or building construction. We have older construction. We have newer construction. So some guys like an eight-pound axe. Some like the six-pound axe. You know, we're, we won't go into kind of the forceful entry physics of that. But, um, you know, it's all based on the response area and the crews. But they're required to at least bring the halligan, the hook, and things like that. And we promote, you know, bringing the hook with you, but not searching with it uh, for obviously reasons of, of hoarder conditions and, and furniture and things like that. Uh, talk a little bit about CAN. I know CAN searching has taken on, um, you know, has been pretty popular. In what instances are your, is your truck taking a CAN? What instances are they leaving it? Yes, uh, I'm actually glad you brought that up. They're, they're required to bring the CAN as well. Um, actually just a few weeks ago, probably about two weeks ago, we had a decent working fire that extended to the second floor. The uh, ladder crew got up there. They searched, we do promote can searching. Um, they even got there and this, the water can didn't make, make much of a stop, but they still opened the door. They still tried to knock it down with the can and then they closed it and continue searching. And they, but they also immediately radioed to chief and was like, Hey, knocked it with the water can and, and made no effort. You know, we need a line up here as soon as possible. So yes, we very much promote, um, can searching. Um, that's actually what the inside, we call them the irons firefighter. The irons firefighter usually brings the can and the, the irons, of course. Um, and, and we go through in that week long ladder Academy, how to search with the water can, how to use it efficiently and effectively and when not to use it. You know, I mean, let's be realistic. Uh, I think sometimes the, you got two, three, four rooms of fire. Hey, let's hold it in case we need it. You know, I think sometimes we, we kind of cowboy in there, not saying cowboys are bad, but we'll go in there and start squirting it and, you know, hoo-ha, kind of say the things we do and have the fun time and all that. But if we're backing out and then we may need it to knock something down, we just wasted the can on something we, you know, didn't need. Absolutely. So, Jason, take me back to December 2013. Let's jump into this call. All right. So, um, you know, obviously I'll, I'll leave the department names and information out because, um, again, this is not a shot at any one or many organizations that were on this call. Um, I was working for an organization on the ladder, and we responded mutual aid to a reported apartment fire with entrapment. Uh, the call came in right before, I think it says on the uh, notes here, about right around 10 o'clock, right before 10 on in December 2013. 
It was a report of apartment fire with entrapment. Uh, those set of apartments are two-story townhomes, so single living units, two stories, and, and then another single living unit next to it. Um, so I guess it's easier to start what we know now compared to how we responded in. Um, the initial um, fire department that responded responded with an engine, a ladder, and a battalion chief. And my organization sent two engines, a ladder, a rescue, and two chiefs. Um, and as we're responding in, obviously we heard a report of entrapment. But what we know now, um, after the fact, is that there was a Christmas tree on the first floor. Undoubtedly they hadn't watered it and there was some sort of electrical issue next to the Christmas tree that caught the Christmas tree on fire. Uh, the Christmas tree was located next to an open stairway. So obviously you guys can imagine a Christmas tree went up, began to exhaust everything upstairs, caught the first floor on fire, went up the stairs, caught part of the second floor on fire, and then went straight to the attic. Uh, a father and two young kids, one kid was five years old, one was 18 months old. Um, dad woke up, made a push actually through the hallway to the kid's room and the door was closed. Uh, he opened the door and he was overcome with CO and the smoke that was in the hallway. Um, he went to grab his kids, but undoubtedly from what we understand talking to him now, he kind of, again, choked up the CO, the smoke couldn't do it. So he managed to break the second floor window in the kid's room and he actually rolled slash fell out of the second floor. Um, at that time, around that time, when he fell and started coming back to and neighbors were helping him up. Um, that's when the first uh, engine arrived from the organization's first due response area. And unfortunately that department had really embraced the UL exterior firefighting um, tactics. Um, I, I'd like to make a statement, you know, again, on this podcast, I think the UL and NIST studies are wonderful. Um, I think they're extremely, extremely in a positive light to help fire departments and, and help, you know, learn more about our job and what is good and bad about the smoke and the products of combustion, how people, how smoke and fire travels and, and the numbers and the information. Uh, I have nothing against the NIST and UL studies. This organization decided to really embrace it. And so at, when we arrived as the ladder from the uh, responding agency next door, you know, no lines were inside. Um, there is helmet camera video that I believe, not sure if it exists anymore. I was, I was able to see it and it honestly made me more mad than I, I am today. You know, um, it shows the first two officers spraying water from the front door on the first floor shows the officer going to the second floor charlie side spraying water um not much fire conditions on the second floor decent smoke about four to five feet from the le ground level um and, and a working fire in the attic so when we got there my company split and me and my partner went to the roof we opened up relieved conditions immediately for the crews inside another engine and my inside crew from my company went inside made a push up the stairs uh, after talking to them, they said it, it wasn't, you know, anything, you know, ear blistering as we talked about earlier. It, the conditions were hot. There was smoky, but they were able to make a good push up the second, up to the second floor. 
Um, and then myself and my partner rejoined the crews on the inside on the second floor. And that's a meet kind of when we found out there were two kids still trapped. So we immediately began searching. Um, my partner and my officer uh, found the first child in the crib and immediately went to the alpha side second floor window and yelled out saying we had a victim. And, and the first two department kind of looked at us and was like, what do you want us to do? And, and it's sad because actually our chief of training was there. Um, he was on the alpha side. He saw it and he ran up and grabbed the child and ran down the street to the EMS unit. Um, as we began searching, we were told there was a second child. We literally had to dig through rubble and drywall and junk that had fallen from the firefighting efforts from them spraying water on the outside. You could see where the, the nozzles had obviously knocked the drywall down from the ceiling and covered the second child. Um, myself and my partner found the second child. Um, again, the second child was five and we were able to hand them off again through the ladder. Um, and, and from the portable ladder, they brought them down and ran them back to the EMS unit. Um, so that's kind of like the 30 second version of the discussion, but it, it it's just shows, you know, the conditions were tenable. Um, I, I, there's really no words of, of saying how disappointed I was, you know, you know, and when I, I'm now in training and one of the things I tell our recruits on day one is I draw a picture of two little kids, two little stick figure kids on the board. And I, and I tell them these two kids were killed because the first two company didn't do their job. And, and I think anyone listening to this podcast better realize, you know, the news media might not know the truth. The homeowners might not know the truth. But we end up at the end of the day, we know what the truth is and, and you were responsible for your actions. And, and I still hold dear some of these companies who I still talk to and, and whether they know it or not, I still have a grudge against them because of the actions or lack of actions on that fire ground of, the, of that day. So when we were talking a little bit before, this is one of my areas of passion, but it's like, get inside, you know, I, I'm all about red lights, but don't, I, I hate when people put that red light up from the outside and say, no, this is too dangerous to go inside. I'd much prefer go inside and let's, let's figure out a red light compartment by compartment and see what we can do. I'm not asking anybody to go to a death, death wish or melt their ears off. Oh, absolutely. But, uh, you know, to your point, you know, with crews not, not going inside and making that decision right off the bat, that's hard to, that's hard to stomach. Right. And, and again, I, I saw the first two officers helmet camera video. The conditions were not, you know, what you see in the movies or what you see on YouTube. You know, fire was coming out of the, the second floor alpha side window at one point and it was quickly knocked back and they could never get to the seat of the fire on the first floor because when they were flowing from the front door alpha side there, it's hard to explain without actually drawing the building up. Um, but there was almost like a wall, a half wall blocking where the Christmas tree was. So you could really never get to the seat of the fire effectively without actually going inside and putting water directly on that area. And as soon as that engine went in there with my officer and the other side of the crew, the inside crew, they were able to qu very quickly get a handle of that first floor fire. And they felt very confident going to the second floor. 
and, and that's kind of the what I don't understand. If we were able to do it, and we're not supermen, we're not special. Uh, I tell people all the time. I, I wake up and my wife reminds me of the mistakes I made. <laughs> yeah, you know, you you wake up and you're like, you woke up ten minutes late. Oh. <laughs> you know, we're all humans. You didn't I, unload the di- dishwasher, Jason. Yeah, yeah. You didn't unload the dishwasher last night. It that, looked too dangerous. It looked yeah. too. Dangerous. <laughs> it was scared to go in there. You left the lo- you left the wet clothes in the dr- washing machine, and now they smell like mildew. <laughs> so you're you're in training now. Yes. And we know nobody signs up for this job and says, I want to be a crappy fireman. Right. So why, let's, let's think about this globally. Why are guys not going inside? Is it, they don't have a good understanding? Is it, they pick up something from the last class, whether it was slicers or whatever they just took. And that's the last thing they remember. Are they in, not confident in their skills? What, what do you think it is? I think it's 100% of what you just said. I think it's um, lack of confidence in their skills. I think it's lack of understanding and repetitions. Cause let's be honest, you know, think back to your academy. I know in my fire academy, I maybe used a chainsaw twice, you know, and, and that's one thing that, you know, I'll kind of answer your question here in a second. I'm probably gonna go off on another tangent, but we talked about it earlier. That fire really drove me into the position I am now. Uh, there is no reason why we should have anyone uncomfortable with certain positions, uncomfortable in their training or lack of knowledge. And, and that's really why I come into work and drive every day to do what I do. And I'm not saying I do it the best. I make mistakes, but we got to be better at what we do. The, and I tell people the time you should be uncomfortable is when you're training. You should not be uncomfortable on the fire ground. You shouldn't. We should be able to put you through almost everything we can with the exception of flashover, right? And, and some of those situations. But, you know, if people see some of the videos I post them uh, on Facebook, and I know you do too, you should have victims running out of the building during scenarios, screaming at them, being incoherent, because that's really what happens. And we should never feel uncomfortable or scared or whatever you want to call it on the fire ground. We should be completely confident. And actually, I know you can't see it, but on my wall here to my left, you know, I have the same from, uh, I always forget the chief, you know, he wants, if you respond to 1130 calls a day, the citizens expect four brain surgeons, you know, a doctor that can open heart surgery right there. He doesn't want four dumbasses in a pickup truck. And unfortunately, it's good and bad. I don't think the citizens understand that. I really believe that the citizens, and we talk about it all the time, if the citizens really knew how some of us treated them, they would be appalled and they would cut our funding immediately. You know, I'm sorry that you live out in the sticks and we only have two or three people on the truck, but we're probably not going to come inside and try and save you. How would that, you know, how would that go over a taxpaying citizen? Don't think it would go very well. You know, I do a ton of these podcasts. I think right. this is like number 54 or something. And I'm amazed. Maybe in the fire world, we think that if somebody gets a grab, they must have been Superman. And right. I'm, really, I'm really surprised. And there's been some really good grabs that we've, we've gotten the interview. But uh, I think Gary Lane said it. It's like, you'd be surprised how many people find some victim on happenstance. You just yes. happen to be in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we got to get over that, that it doesn't take an uh, award-winning rescue to make a difference 
it just you go in and you do your job and right. it, you're not searching for a golf ball in a room this, this isn't like right you know winning the lottery it's you go in 12 by 12 room and there's a six foot person somewhere in there go find them yep <laughs> um and maybe <laughs> if people do right. that a little bit better they'd be more comfortable going in that you're gonna win just occupy the space right exactly and you said it occupy the space which means you got to get in there and I think the misunderstanding is, well, we need to get in there no matter what you do. But if you need to knock the fire down first to get in there, I think we all agree that that's okay. You, you know, it's conditions and construction dependent. Um, and it's funny you said that because we actually, we've had, we've been very lucky. We've actually had multiple rescues in the past year in, in my organization. Some of them have been crazy stories, and one of them was just like you said, I, I won't go too far in the details is the guy was making a push inside with the hose line and he tripped and he landed on him, <laughs> you know? And that's what you said. It was no Superman effort. Well, he's like, I fell flat on my face and I felt something and I got up and looked and it was the adult victim, <laughs> but you're right. You know, it's not, I survived this, 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 this. It was, I went in and I tripped over something. I think he said he tripped over the threshold and he fell on the victim. You know, that's not a heroic story. That's, he was going inside to occupy the space. Exactly what you said. But again, reverting back to this incident, they had someone fall out the second floor window. And when the dad came to, they asked him, Hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? He's like, I was trying to save my kids. Like, I don't know what's more prevalent or, or how clear anyone else could be during that incident. That dad just fell out of the second floor room and said, I was trying to get my kids. Like we talk about this, like you said, in training, when do you use VS? When you absolutely 100% know someone's in this room or if the conditions are not tenable in other sides of the room, but it, you have a possible survivability area in this room, right? You search for survival areas. I don't understand, especially the people that were on scene before we got there. What was more, what wasn't clear about that? What was not? And I think that's what really pisses me off. And like you said, I had to secure my mic so I wouldn't jump around anymore because I get, I get so worked up over this incident because what's, what the hell are you doing? Why are you there then? You should have just left and we should have come in and then we would have been fine. Like, you know, I guess that's some of this, it sounds cliche, but, I do soul search again, cliche about this incident because it drove, it's the one incident that you tell people that you always remember as long as I'll be alive. And again, it's this, I'm not a emotional person, you know, it's so cliche, but this is the one incident that really drove me to excel for perfection because there's absolutely no reason why no one should have at least tried to VES that room. Like my two kids are in there. They are five and 18 months. Go fucking get them. Like, and the crews were just flowing water and not even making attempt to go inside, you know, and obviously if you read the article, members from, you know, the public information officer and fire chief said, you know, it was, we tried to make an attempt. They didn't, you know, and I'm going to be honest and anyone listening from this area, they know exactly what fire I'm talking about and, and or you can re research it. I don't care. But the fact of the matter is they didn't, they didn't make an effort. And you, you bring up a good point. I think it, everybody in the fire service does this. When we're asked about a call, 
we can connect the dots in a way that makes an ugly woman or a beautiful princess. You've seen the, right. you've seen the thing I'm talking about where you flip it upside down <laughs> oh, yeah. and we all make the pretty princess, right? We are, we want the, we want that. Uh, but the truth is, unless we share the ugly, we don't grow. Right. And, and I appreciate your honesty in this. And it is probably one of the favorite of the grabs that we've done just because there's so much raw emotion and it wasn't a successful outcome, <laughs> but hopefully more people will take something right. from this one that maybe even a successful happenstance rescue, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I know I'm kind of talking fast and kind of stuttering a little bit, but I, I, I get even right now, like I'm hot, <laughs> I'm sweating Be, because I get, I don't talk about this incident a lot because it really does. It, it, it is a, again, not being cliche, but it, it's a very emotional incident because it, it didn't turn out right. And, and I think the thing that really connects it is the child that died was born two days after my son. And that was my first kid. And, and anyone that has kids understand like it, it changed the world. And when that happened, like I remember going home and telling my wife, like we need to make Christmas big this year, you know, because I guess it was just that connection. The kid was around the same age, uh, you know, and it just was a raw emotional connection. Um, and it, it just, I am so frustrated at the initial actions of the first companies. Like that is not what, what we're here for. That's not what we do. That's not what we stand to represent. Uh, it is just a disappointing incident, unfortunately. Um, and, and it is, it's, it's very sad. But like I said, that time from that point forward, I started helping with our recruit schools. I started getting out and listening to people, going to more classes because I knew I don't want to see that happen again. Or at least I don't want any of my companies to do any of that. You know, we have to make an attempt. If if at least we go to a fire in 20 minutes and the guys make a push and say they can't, I'll at least, that's not the outcome we want, but at least I can say they made an attempt. There was no attempts made. I don't care what anyone says. Everyone that was on my side came in our, our apparatus. There were no attempts. So. I appreciate you sharing so much. Uh, Detail-wise, uh, just so we don't miss anything, do you know – about what time victims were removed from the time you guys went in and started searching by chance or oh, 10 minutes or so ish, 10 to 15, maybe from, from your guys's arrival arrival. Mm -hmm. And then um, on searching for the, for the victim in front of the crib under debris. Can you talk a little bit about that? Cause I think so many recruits are, you know, they're taught like swing a tool and, and that. Right. Well, so I know when they first pulled the, first child out of the crib and I was actually searching the Charlie side bedroom with someone else when my partner and the officer found that first child and they said hey we got one of the kids we're taking them out the window and we said one kid or two because there was still again even with the confirming kids there was still a, a lack of understanding of really how many kids um so when we found out yes there is a second kid in here I mean, there was drywall and insulation and everything. And, and, and anyone listening who's been to a fire, you understand what happens. Drywall, insulation, water, wet slop. And, and it was a mess. And literally, we all got to our hands and knees because there was clear visibility at this point. And we were literally sloughing through crap to find the floor and then go from there. And so as we moved towards the front, we started sloughing through stuff and, and we 
at first it looked like a baby doll. I'm not kidding. It, it just, it did not look realistic. And then we pulled, picked it up and my partner looked at it and he said, Oh shit, this is the kid. And we finished and threw him right out the window. Not literally, obviously, but lucky enough, we were there right next to the window to, to actually make the removal. Absolutely. Uh, anything else, Jason, you want to add on this one? No, I, I mean, uh, anyone listening, you know, I, I hate to say this, but survivability profiling is a load of crap. You know, you don't know what you don't know. And, and I know sometimes people say that and it doesn't make sense, but you got to get in there. You got to get in there and search the survival spaces, you, you know, keep your head on the swivel. That's why we talk about tripod searching. So your, your eyes and ears are up. Um, you know, if you, like you said, bringing the water can, it gives you some sort of protection, you know? Well, I had so much fun talking with you. You know, we, we, we talked a little bit about getting this started and I've asked you questions on other stuff and this grabs episode took on more of a, a a journeyman uh, (laughs) feel, which I love. Um, So anybody that doesn't know, we also do a journeyman podcast where we talk more about fire service in general, Uh, but I'd love to have you on there. So uh, we'll schedule that up soon and, and people can listen for that. Uh, but I mean, you're so knowledgeable. Can you tell people how to get a hold of you or where you're doing stuff or uh, where they can find out more information about what you're putting out there? Cause it's all good stuff. Oh, well, I appreciate it. Well, obviously like anyone else, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Jason Jonitas. Um, uh, I teach with soda city training, uh, truck company ops. I help Palmer and them, uh, highway independent highway journeymen. We're going up to Pacific Northwest. Um, uh, I think, I guess, I don't really have a claim to fame, but anything I'm known for, I do a lot of acquired building stuff. Um, I've been very lucky to have about 250 buildings so far in the past couple of years. Actually, this morning I picked up a massive warehouse and, and I just embrace real drills. I, I do a lot of timing and investigations on the whys. And this is the exact reason why it's because I want us to be so knowledgeable on certain pieces of our craft. I don't want anyone to not feel comfortable at doing, whether it's roof ventilation, any type of saw work, searches, forcible entry. We, we got to know everything about our craft, and then we have to continue to pursue excellence. Well, Jason, I appreciate it. Uh, we're going to wrap it up, but if you get a grab, alive or otherwise, uh, we ask you to go to www.firefighterrescuesurvey.com. Fill out that short, short survey. That information is just for us, um, by us. So we're just trying to get better. And if people aren't reporting the rescues and recording the grabs, we're just making stuff up. So we'd rather be using uh, real information. If you want to record a podcast, get a hold of me, Grant Schwalbe, Nick Ledeen, or Justin McWilliams. And until next time, we appreciate you listening. Yeah.